with humble hearts and open spirits. Be with us in these moments, O God. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. She stood in the open door of his bedroom, looking at the chaos. It wasn't just an unmade bed, but all that was scattered across the floor and hanging across the chair and the desk. How can you stand, she said, to live in this mess? It wasn't your mother. <laughs> or maybe it was. It was a mess. The Bible describes what started in great beauty, but progressed, or shall we say degressed, into a series, a number of seasons, one after another, of increased messiness. As the Bible unfolds, we find as we move together through the journey the Bible, we hear stories, some told with a bit of playfulness, but all in the direction of telling this bit of truth, starting with this particular couple, Abraham and Sarah, but then moving on through. At each generation, there is clear indication that our spiritual forebears were not meeting up to the hopes and the dreams and the clear expectations of God. The various high points of Scripture we'll touch on briefly just to remind ourselves where we've been. Abraham and Sarah and then later Joseph, these places where the people of Israel are in transition or the Hebrew people uh, trying to figure out who they are and whose they are. And with Joseph, the transition through drought and then famine, the movement of the Hebrew people into Egypt. From Egypt, there is the Exodus and the story of Moses and moving through the wilderness and that next phase of transition where the people now are seeking to move from captivity through the Red Sea, through the wilderness in the direction of the land of promise. With Joshua and Judges, there's the messiness of trying to figure out how do we settle in this new place, be a new people, figure out how to listen carefully to God's instruction, and then the movement through what's called the United Monarchy, first with Saul, but then with David and with Solomon. Biblical scholars over the years have given us dates to help, help us sort of keep track of the movement of this journey that we're sharing together through the Bible, roughly 2000 BC for Abraham and Sarah, the calling of God in the 11th and 12th chapter of Genesis, somewhere around 1700 BC for the movement of the Hebrew people, the children of Israel into the land of Egypt with Joseph, around 1300 BC, the movement out of Egypt back into the land of Canaan. Around 1200, the consolidation of understanding in Joshua and the various judges in the land of Canaan. And then the united monarchy starting with Saul, but then David and Solomon, roughly 
1000 BC, concluding in a very specific date, 922 BC. It is the death of Solomon and the leadership that he increasingly had uh, fostered as more and more dysfunctional, very messy, so that in 922, the 10 northern tribes of Israel broke away. The two southern tribes became known as Judah. The 10 northern tribes became known as Israel. Throughout all of this messiness, there was indecision, dysfunction, selfishness, craziness. And then there was a period of just a series of one king after another, both in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, whose names we see as quick transition, Rehoboam and Jeroboam and sons and movement on through until finally we have a period for the next 500 years where words began to be spoken to the messiness. A group of people called the prophets began to rise up. And those prophets realized in their calling that someone needs to do something to remind the people of God what it is they're supposed to do to call out the messiness. Now, the role of a prophet, of course, anybody who decides to be a prophet, they see in that calling, you know, you can be really popular and make a lot of money being a prophet, right? Wrong. The prophets knew right away, and in each case with their callings, there was huge reluctance. Why? Because to be a prophet meant that you had to speak truth that would make people upset. And most of us, in fact, all of us, want to be liked. The expectation in our lives is that we have a community of people that we appreciate and love and interact with. We don't want to make them uncomfortable and hurt their feelings. We want to be accepted and loved. And yet the very hard role of a prophet is to speak truth. The way the prophets, starting with Elijah and then Elisha, moving through Isaiah in the early part of Isaiah's words, Amos and Micah we'll be talking about a little bit more today, and we've heard their powerful words. A little later, there's Deutero-Isaiah, sometimes called Deutero, and the second part of Isaiah's words, a later group of people following in the tradition of Isaiah during the Babylonian exile, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then what's known as Trito-Isaiah. If you want to impress your Sunday school teacher or maybe confuse them a little bit, just say, you know, it sounds like those words are coming from Deutero-Isaiah, or it could be Trito-Isaiah. It's simply the tradition of Isaiah that's a little bit later during the Babylonian captivity or Babylonian exile. In each case, these prophetic voices are deeply concerned about specific issues. Often, we think of prophecy, that is the the noun, uh, prophecy is telling the future. Or to prophesy, the verb, is a particular person declaring something's going to be happening in the future. In fact, specifically in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the people of God were told you are not to try to tell the future. You can express the hopes of the future. You can call out the dreams and the hopes and expectations of God, but you are not to predict the future. In fact, your role is specifically to change the future. 
The prophet's role was to speak to the people and say, the actions you were taking right now, the lives you were living in this moment are not what God wants or needs for us. And if we continue in this way, bad things are going to happen. We must change and repent and move forward in the right direction that God expects for us. To prophesy, to be a prophet was to speak truth, initially to power. It was a difficult role, not only because it created distance between the people the prophets were trying to talk to, but especially the role prophets started out with was to speak truth to the king, to the people in power. It was a dangerous role. Speaking truth to power is another definition of the prophet's role, but for today especially, speaking truth also to messiness. The difficulties of our individual lives, this biblical tradition, the journey through the Bible that we're sharing together in recognizing from the very beginning people like you and me trying to do the right thing initially, but we stumble and fall and we get kind of caught up in things that just don't line up with what God was hoping for. The prophetic issues that continue to bubble up are as follows, idol worship, identity confusion, greed, selfishness, and exclusion. Thankfully, through the prophet's words, all that got resolved and we're good. In fact, we did a little brainstorming in our Fresh Start service, specifically around idol worship, which at first glance looks and sounds a little bit like some kind of ancient strangeness. But let's just stop for a moment and see what kind of idols do we worship today? Feel free to yell out something that God puts on your heart. What is it we worship today? Money, cell phones, mobile devices, social media, what else? Cars, status, foot, oh my goodness, football. Don't say baseball, no, no, no. These things bubble up in our lives and some others that are a little more uncomfortable. Flag, guns, status, neighborhoods. What'd you say, Jerry? I can't hear. Signs. Okay. Oh, okay. Signs in people's yards. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. There are all kinds of things in our experiences where we think, oh, that's their problem. The power of the prophet's voice then and still today is this recognition in each of us that it's not just those other people that have issues. Barbara Kingsolver was here on Thursday. Some of you have read one or some of Barbara Kingsolver's terrific books. Her latest book, we have actually advertised on the sign and she spoke about uh, Demon Copperhead and the whole uh, 
bubbling up in her experience of what prompted that need in her to write about this experience in Appalachia. She grew up in eastern Kentucky and lives now in southern Virginia, both areas deep in the heart of Appalachia, also deep in the heart of an area struggling with addiction, the horrors of addiction and the opioid crisis, very much in the midst of her culture. She spoke glowingly of and with a thankful heart of coming out of that Appalachian culture, but also called herself and all of us out in the fact that the Appalachian culture is one of those easy places to make fun of and kind of laugh at. And in fact, out of this book, it was her desire to help those of us out there on the outside feel the the pulse of sadness and difficulty of a group of people constantly the, the back end of jokes and looked down upon and made fun of. The tragedy of the opioid crisis, not just there, but other places, and her prophetic words of saying, this didn't just happen. This was a pharmaceutical industry that made it happen so they could make money. There are prophetic voices that need to call out all of us at various points. And the, the power of the prophet's words throughout our history are revolved around how does this fit? Well, the prophets were convinced and, and began to focus in on this is a faith problem. Every one of these issues that need to be confronted are not just issues related to exclusion and selfishness and greed, identity confusion and idol worship, but rather they're a faith problem specifically for faith misinformation where sometimes we're trying to do the right thing, but we've learned something wrongly or we've gone off in the wrong direction. The prophet's role then, the remedy the prophets tried to begin to utilize was faith formation. That's not what God wants. This is what God calls us to do and to be. These are the things God expects from us. Micah and Amos both are concerned about equity. It's not that God doesn't want good stewardship from us, but God doesn't care about our stewardship if we don't care about equity and if we're not practicing justice. If we're not seeking to do what it is that God needs us to do in the difficulties of this day, the words specifically from Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. If you start at the back end of this powerful quote, righteousness, simply doing what is right, according to what we understand God needs from us, this then becomes the justice that God expects from us. And the prophet Micah, in this three-part injunction, starts with, it doesn't matter what you give or how you give if you have failed to do justice. This is what I require of you, God says, to do justice and to love kindness. Now, you can do justice without being kind, and it becomes uh, very unhelpful, which is why the prophet Micah, using God's words, says to do justice must be done with a sense of kindness or mercy. But then there's the problem that we all run into because we are 
very much a part of the human condition. When I do the right thing, and I do it with kindness, I have a tendency, you probably don't have this problem, but my tendency is to do a little bit of gloating and think, I am so glad I am so good. And I'm so thankful that I'm so humble. As Max Davis used to say, it's, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Which is why there's this third portion that Micah gives us. Walk humbly with God. Recognizing that as much as I'd like to think I'm better than you, the Bible's pretty clear. Nope. Equity means we're all in this together. We all suffer the same problems. We're all equally part of the human condition that struggles with the messiness of life and the messiness of our own ego needs, our selfishness, our greed, our silliness, our pettiness. And at the same time, the beauty of God's expectations of us is in the midst of our messiness, in the midst of all the silliness that we're a part of, we can do this because God sees this in us. The expectations of God are not unrealistic. God's hopes and dreams for us are based on what God knows we are and we have. And therefore, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God is not only our high calling, it is our great possibility today with God's grace. Amen.